of the very unusual features of all the four Gospels, the accounts of the life of Jesus, is how many pages proportionally are dedicated to his final week, to his suffering, and to his death. The Gospels, if we were to categorize them as a particular genre, would best fit the category of ancient biography. In the Greco-Roman world, biographies were written to investigate the character and goals and accomplishments and shortcomings of prominent figures in order to determine if they were worthy of imitation. And certainly the Gospels perform some of that function for us. They report about the excellent character of Jesus, you know, his, his gentleness, his faithfulness, his truthfulness, all these things attested to the excellent character of Jesus in the Gospels. And of course, we hear about his beautiful kingdom of God goals, that he desires to bring his father's justice into the world, that he wishes to heal those who are suffering, that he wishes to bring peace into his father's kingdom. And of course, we read about his accomplishments of all kinds, uh, miraculous accomplishments of power, healings, uh, the multiplication of the loaves, his leadership, many accomplishments we read about, and some which we can, in fact, imitate. But in addition to these features of ancient biography, the gospel accounts focus a great deal of attention on that last week, on what Christians call the passion of Christ, his suffering during his final days. Why? What purpose did that part of his life serve? Why does it require so much of our attention? I was talking to somebody that I dearly love uh, recently, and they were actually giving me some recommendations of what I might preach on today. And I guarantee that the suffering of Jesus was not one of those things. It's an odd thing that we Christians dwell on the suffering of Jesus. Well, the reason for this unusual emphasis is that the suffering of Jesus was revealed to be an extremely important part of his ministry, perhaps the most important part of his ministry. It was not just a tragic mishap, as if, you know, gosh, if Jesus hadn't died and he lived his full life long, we'd all be in a much better place today. Not at all. His death was not accidental. And we know that because Jesus foretells his crucifixion three times. He knows he's walking towards it. The Gospels identify Jesus' passion, which comes from the Latin passio, which means suffer. The Gospels identify Jesus' passion as being redemptive. They are clear that that suffering did something that was good. 
Now, most of the agonies of this world do not function automatically as redemptive. You know, the suffering that we know that is happening in Ukraine is not redemptive. In fact, it needs to be redeemed. But the Gospels are clear that the suffering of Jesus brought about something exceedingly good. The forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Jesus says to his disciples, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. It's a bit of a mystery how Jesus' suffering translates into our forgiveness. But the things are intertwined. And so the church gives us Holy Week as a way to deepen our grasp of God's love. I mean, we aren't given a treatise on how it is that Jesus' suffering works for our redemption. We are given Holy Week. We are given the opportunity to walk into the mystery of Christ lowering himself, lowering himself, and lowering himself until he hands himself over to his betrayers. We may not be able to articulate all the theological wherefores and their as is, but by entering into Monday Thursday and Good Friday and Holy Saturday, we're grounded in the surpassing love of God for us. A God who will not let us go. I was reminded just the other day, you know how God wrestled with Jacob. I mean, how silly. I mean, it would be like a parent allowing their two-year-old to kick them, you know, relentlessly. And the parent would just kind of, you know, engage because they know somehow that child needs to do that. God would even wrestle with us. But even more than that, he shows us his unstoppable love in the gift of his son, Jesus. Attending to the unfolding story will shape us in the confidence of the blessing God offers to all who will receive it. Now, it could be that some of you are thinking, is all that dwelling on suffering and sin really necessary? I mean, I and most of my friends are basically good people. I think, I think I'd prefer to skip over these sad days and just tune in for Easter. And that is understandable. I have many times skipped over parts in novels that I just can't bear to read or covered my eyes in the midst of lots of movies when it gets too scary or gruesome or grim. But the thing is, deep down, no matter how decent we may imagine that we are, there lurks a suspicion that in God's eyes we fall short and something needs to be done. Something is required. 
And that anxiety, apart from whatever the reality of our God's really our relationship with God is, that reality of our anxiety, well, that needs to be dealt with. There's a wonderful illustration of this inclination towards our anxiety about our sinfulness from the cartoon strip Calvin and Hobbes. I don't know if any of you have seen Calvin and Hobbes. Well, not too many of you. Uh, it's it's uh, just so you know, it's a cartoon strip that involves a little boy and a tiger. And they have deep conversations a lot of the time. This particular conversation is happening on a sled down a snowy slope. Calvin says, I'm getting nervous about Christmas. Hobbes, the tiger, replies, You're worried you haven't been good. Calvin says, That's just the question. It's all relative. What's Santa's definition? How good do you have to be to qualify as good? I mean, I haven't committed any felonies. I didn't start any wars. Wouldn't you say that's pretty good? Wouldn't you say I should get lots of presents? Hobbes says, but maybe good is more than the absence of bad. Calvin says, see, that's what worries me. Most of us, like Calvin, have some glimmer of worry about God's definition of good. And when we reflect on that, we imagine that it is probably quite exalted. And we know that we have probably not attained to it, which leaves us concluding that our sin needs to be dealt with, much less the sin of other people, which of course it does. And that's just from our side, our anxiety. We need to be reassured, but there's another side, which is from God's side. From God's side, sin needs to be dealt with. I mean, we couldn't worship a God who would watch what is going on in Ukraine and simply turn away. It needs to be dealt with. And that is why he sent his son. So we talked about Passion Sunday and how it is that Jesus enters into his passion and how mysteriously that is linked with the forgiveness of sins. But there's another aspect to this Sunday. Of course, if you look on your leaflet, it says Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of Holy Week. We kind of rewind the tape from when our gospel uh, reading happened, and we come to the beginning of the week, which is Palm Sunday. And we began with the reenactment of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, a marvelous donkey played this morning by Bunny the donkey, who, I noted, has that wonderful cross on her back. That's something that all these particular kind of donkeys have, is a cross etched on their back. And of course, legend has it that God gave them that honor to wear uh, the cross because one of them had brought his son into Jerusalem. But anyway, we begin with this triumphal entry. And there are, of course, so many layers to what is going on in that story of Jesus coming in, claiming Jerusalem, 
as its rightful king. But it is very important to note that Jesus planned his entry, and he planned it to happen coincidentally with the celebration of the Passover. And we know what the Passover is. That's that story in Exodus when God brought the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt into a free life with him, worshiping him. And we know there were all those plagues and there was the lamb that was sacrificed and there was the going through the Red Sea. But basically, the whole story of the Exodus is God victoriously leading his people out of bondage. The celebration of God's deliverance of the Israelites. Well, Jesus is signaling in coming in on a donkey at Passover that God is on the move again, delivering his people. Only this time, it's not from Pharaoh's armies. It's not even from the Roman armies or from the religious elite who were colluding with the Roman armies. Jesus is on the move to defeat sin and death itself. That is his exodus. And that is why he is so apparently under-equipped. He's come to announce his rightful kingship and then with each successive day, give himself over until on Good Friday, he will say from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name, Jesus said. That is what he accomplished through the agonies of Holy Week. Now, I began this talking about how it is that these biographies were written so that we might imitate. And there is much about the life of Jesus that we can and should imitate. But there is one thing we cannot imitate. He was the only one who died once for all for the sins of the whole world. That is something that none of us are qualified to do and we do not have to do because it has been done for us. And in terms of that action, that saving work, all we do is receive it. That is the work of Holy Week, to receive what Jesus has given us in his holy, good life laid down. May we do that. May we walk intentionally, avail ourselves of the liturgical actions that happen on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and the Easter Vigil. Mark those things with Jesus so that we can receive with confidence the gift of forgiveness that we have that will indeed empower us to live a life that imitates the good life of Jesus. Amen.